2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And please do have some, some grace for me tonight. This is one of those sermons that the Lord um, decided to make me wait until this morning, and He confirmed it. And so I am going to do my very best to preach to you what the Lord has given me, what I feel is right for this hour. So please just open your heart to what the Lord would want to do in this house tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse number 10, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, and persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am, what? Weak. Then I am strong. Look at somebody and say, in my weakness, I am strong. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in this house. It's good to see Emmy Guy here tonight, fellow Urshan College family. So we, we had some classes and things like that together. So I know this is her home church, but it's good to see some fellow Urshanites in the building. <laughs> you don't have to be in church very long or really for any length of time to recognize that if you start reading in the Old Testament or in the New Testament you find out quickly that everyone God desires to use, He puts them through a breaking process. It doesn't matter if it is Moses who has been given the awesome promises of God that say, I'm going to show you a land that flows with milk and honey. And I'm going to show you a place where there is abundance. But Moses, there are going to be problems before you get there. You are going to have to go through Egypt. You are going to have to be willing to be delivered. You are going to have to be willing to walk through Red Seas. You are going to have to face problems and trials. That is just a fact, Moses. It doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul, who in my opinion is one of the greatest preachers of the known day in the New Testament. He established unbelievable amounts of churches, wrote so many of the books in our New Testament. In fact, it was the majority. But yet Paul even, who withstood Nero's prison, whom it was said that one senator who went in with black hair, it was said he came out and his hair was completely white. That is how dark and despairing it was in Nero's prison. But Paul withstood that. He withstood being the offscore of society and being mocked and laughed at, beaten and ridiculed for most of his life. It doesn't matter if you are Elijah, who the Bible said withstood 850 prophets of Baal, Ahab, and Jezebel. But Elijah himself would find himself under a tree after he had just delivered Israel. It doesn't matter if you're Job, who had wealth and prestige and nobility, but suddenly you're attacked by the enemy. Your money's gone. Your children die. You find yourself covered from head to toe in boils. In fact, history would say that he would take broken pieces of pottery and scrape his skin head to toe just so he could have some relief. 
His wife looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? But Job came to a revelation in his darkest hour. He said, though he slay me, yet will I serve and trust in the Lord. Is there anybody that can say that tonight? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And yet will I serve him. I tell you this and I show you a small, minute group. But it seems like everybody that has done something for God had to go through a breaking process. And I want you to know that in North America, we have been sold a bill of lies that if we love God and if we're faithful, if we'll pay our tithes, if we will just go to church and if we're blood-bought and washed by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the water in Jesus' name, that no problem's ever going to come our way. That is not true. We have bought into this concept that if we do those things, there's not going to be any cancer report. You're not going to get told at 24 years old you have a tumor. You're not going to lose your job. You're not going to end up in divorce. We won't end up with trials and adversity. But I have come to tell you that is not found in this Word. I am telling you, you can be blood-bought. You can serve God. You can know everything from Genesis to Revelation. And that is great. But you are going at some point to have trouble. You are going to face issues in this life. And when you get there, you are going to need to know that God's grace is sufficient. No matter what it looks like, His grace is sufficient. That word sufficient is important because it means that He is enough. It means that it is as much as is needed. And when we read our Bible, we look at this powerful verse in verse number 9 where the Apostle Paul would talk about and say, God spoke to him, my grace is sufficient. But you do not appreciate chapter 12 verse 9 until you read chapter 12 verses 7 and 8. Because the Bible said that Satan buffeted Paul. That word means a blow or a strike to pound repeatedly. Satan was on the loose, the Bible says. He pounded Paul. He gave him a blow repeatedly over and over. The Bible says that Paul went before God. He said, God, I can't handle this. I can't take this. I can't do this anymore. I can't keep this up. Scripture says in verse 7 that he had received a thorn. In theologians' world today, many will debate what that thorn was. Whether it was his eyesight or he had some sort of debilitating thing within his body. But nevertheless, whatever it was, it bothered him. Whatever it was, this great man of God had a problem. Whatever it was, this apostle who would shake the known world had issues. And the Bible said he went before Almighty God and three times asked the Lord to take away this infirmity. And God's three times said no. But what God did say was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, whatever you are going through that you think you can't get through, you can get through it. Because His grace is sufficient for you. I've come to tell you tonight, God may not remove it, but He will get you through it. 
You may pray all night. You may pray all day long. You may ask God and say, Lord, get this out of my way. And God may say, no. But let me tell you, if God doesn't just take you out, He will always step in. Three Hebrew boys thrown in a fiery furnace. What did not happen? They were not taken out. What did happen? God stepped in. A little boy by the name of Daniel who refused to bow, who refused to eat the king's meat. And the Bible says they threw him in a lion's den. And God did not remove him, but God stepped in and shut the mouth of lions. And I wish somebody could understand. He may not heal you the way he thinks he should. He may not do things the way you think He should. He may not deliver you the way that you think He should. But one thing about it, He will always step in to your problems. If you're going through something, lift your hands and say, God, your grace is sufficient. Cade, put Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 on the screen for me. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with Him and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38. Then He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with Me. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Watch, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And I fear today that we too often pray, God, get me out instead of God, teach me. In my storm. I, I fear too often that the reason some of us stay in our storm is because we've not yet learned the process and why we are there. I fear too often in our churches that we have prayed and we have fasted much as we are doing right now and we have sought God, but it's almost a miss because everything we've been praying for are the wrong things. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus did not pray, Lord, whatever I want. That is what I want you to do. He did not pray, God, do it this way, and then I'll be happy. But he ended his prayer by saying, whatever you want to do, however you do it, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm fine with that. It was in the garden that Jesus aligned his will with God. The perfect will of God. Jesus in His humanity, prays to His deity who fills all space and time. And then we get to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Throw that up there on the screen if you can. Where the Apostle Paul would make a declaration and say, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And I am here to tell you tonight, you can stop right there and take it to the bank because God is going to work for good. You may not understand it. You may not see any good. You may not see how God's going to do it. But God is going to work for the good in your life because He cannot lie. If He said it, it is done. He has never been defeated and His Word is always right. He is going to work for you. 
and you can be pessimistic. You can be Mr. and Mrs. Johnny Raincloud all you want. You can give the devil credit that he is not due, but I will just keep walking through my valley. I'm not going to build a tent. I'm not going to build a house in this valley. I'm not putting a monument up. I'm going to keep walking through my dark night. I'm going to keep walking through my trial because God works for my good. That's why David could say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because some people have built houses. Some have put up tents. Some have built schools and gas stations and places of business. They have become comfortable in their valley. And God said, I don't want you there. I don't want you to get familiar there. I want you to get through it. And somebody says, well, what do I do? My pins and my hairspray are all that's holding me together. What a sad disposition. For a child of God, you are not the tail, but you are the head. You are not a loser, but you are a victor. You have got to remember who you serve. The Bible says, they who know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. You have to remember who He is. You can be strong because God's grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. God's grace is what's going to get us through. There is no pill that can fix most of my problems. There is no doctor or therapist. There is no exercise regimen. There is no surgery that can fix the majority of situations in my life because sometimes I come to this house and I am broken. Sometimes I lift my hands, but if I was really honest... I don't feel like lifting my hands. Sometimes I clap, but it's an empty clap because I don't feel like I have anything within me. Sometimes I smile and I shake hands and I say everything's going to be okay when inside it doesn't feel like anything is going to be okay. But the reason that I keep doing it is because I know somewhere in the process, God is going to show up. That's the reason I can lift my hands. That's the reason I can clap my hands. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't throw in the white flag, but somebody get up in this house tonight. Somebody make a decision to fight. Somebody go. We have got to get rid of our facade. We have got to quit faking Christianity because there is not one person in this room or in this world that has it all together. No matter how much we put it on like we do. We go through tight places. We live in tight places. Right now you may be living for God doing everything that you know. You're faithful. You serve God with gladness. Yet you feel like you're empty. And you wonder why. I've come to tell you, you are not alone. You are not the first person to walk this path. Somebody's been there before and somebody's going through it right now. I find that there are three crucial events that transpired in the life of Jesus that prepared Him for His resurrection and for His destiny. We can say all we want that He was God in the flesh, so he could handle the cross. It really wasn't that big of a deal. 
but I would beg to differ with you. The cross was painful. It was brutal. It was grotesque. It was ugly. There was nothing pretty about the cross. Yet He took it on as a man. Most men would have sold out and gave in. We like to act like we're macho. We like to act like we're so strong and nothing can faze us that we have it all together. But get real. Strong men have breaking points. It doesn't mean that we wear our sleeves on, our feelings on our sleeves, or walk around talking about how bad everything is. But let's be honest and admit sometimes even strong men need God's grace. Jesus, unequivocally without doubt or question, was God fully, and he was also fully man. The first of these three areas that we find in his life is the wilderness. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He had been praying and seeking his body weak. But in the wilderness, there was a place of temptation. It was in the wilderness where a decision has to be made. It's in the wilderness that you choose between life or death. And I believe that at some point in our lives, we will all go through a wilderness season if we are going to do anything for God. Pastor can correct me if, if I'm wrong in saying this, but I believe that there are times when you can't hear the voice of God. I believe that God is always present. I do. I, I believe that anywhere that His children are, He is there. But I believe that there are times in this life when we pray and we cannot hear Him, nor can we feel Him. I believe there are times that we can seek God, that we can fast and search the things of God, but we're not sure He hears us. You're not sure that He hears you. But I want you to know that He always hears you. There is a wilderness, a place of temptation. It's where you're going to have to make a decision between life and death, staying put or pressing on. That's the first area of his life. The second area is the garden. It's a tight place because it is in the garden where you must align your will with the will of God. It's where you trust and where you obey. It's where you lose control. And really, as humans, that's our problem. We don't like to give up control. Back in June, I, um, I got my wish teeth taken out. I had all four done. Uh, all four were impacted, that's right. The doctor, uh, he told me, he said, now we're going to have to put you to sleep because we're going to have to do a lot of cutting and, and twisting and pulling. And he, he, he told me, um, he made it sound horrible. He said, your tooth is super close to this nerve that if we hit it, you're never going to be able to have normal function of your jaw. It's going to be paralyzed. And I'm like, I don't think I want my wisdom teeth taken out anymore. Talking is what I do. I think I will just, I will deal with it. And I didn't like it when he told me, no, we have to, we have to put you to sleep. I didn't want to go to sleep. I didn't want to be out of control, unable to affect my situation. I wanted to be aware of what was going on because I, as a man, I, I am a dude, we, we don't ask for directions. Instead, we call our buddies 
and we say, do you know where this is? But never once do we act like we don't know what's happening. And sometimes that's why God can't speak to us. That's why we can't hear a small, still voice because we are still in control. That's the second place. The third is the cross. The cross is where the flesh is crucified and where your life becomes transformed. There are garden events in our lives. There are tight places. There are difficult moments. Gethsemane literally means a place of pressure. It's the place where Jesus went and underwent an enormous amount of pressure. It is a tight place, a place where you feel separated, alone, yet you keep going back to situation after situation that doesn't work because you're desperate for something that feels normal. We can be like the sleeping disciples. You can feel like you have nothing, like you can't seem to get through the night. It's difficult. A tight place is hard to get out of. It's a place where you don't think that you can make it. It's where you don't feel like you have the power to go on. Tight places bring insecurity. Insecurity changes your personality. It makes you overreact to situations. It torments you all night long. You worry about things that aren't happening. You become self-conscious about, well, is, is my husband or my, my wife running around on me because they just got a text message on their phone and I didn't see it? It, it, it does crazy things, things that couldn't be further from the truth. We start thinking people are, are looking at us funny. We're insecure. And what insecurity does is it isolates it gets us in a place where we feel like nobody cares and nobody loves. That's why we can come to a church full of people who love us and feel like we are all alone. Because Satan knows if he can get you into a place where you're insecure. A place where he can torment you, make you angry, make you filled with questions in your life and you keep going back night after night, no sleep wondering all day long aimlessly. You look like the walking dead. You feel like a zombie. A place where there is no rest and no peace for your mind. It makes a good person act strangely and it makes you wonder if you're ever going to get through it. That is a tight place. You're in a garden. A place where the pressure is mounting. You smile at the appropriate times. You clap on the two and the four. You lift your hands when you're supposed to. You come through the liturgy and the routine of church so nobody has a clue as to what's happening in your life. All of a sudden, you start going through the motions. You say everything's fine, but everything is not fine. You feel like you're so weak, but let me tell you tonight, Paul made it clear, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I don't know what else to do and I finally relinquish control, that's when Jesus steps in. I can't tell you, sweet people of God, how many times I have laid on my face and I said, God, you have to take control. I can't do this. And how many times I've had to tell God to break everything within me so that I could understand the depth of His love. 
Jesus speaks in the scripture of type places. He was no ordinary person. He was God in the flesh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was the bright and morning star. He is who He is. But what I also know about the Lord is that He was a man. A man who faced temptation. He faced pressure. To the point that He prayed, Lord, if You would remove this cup, I would be thankful. But not my will, but Yours be done. He faced the experience of a tight place. The Bible says that He was tempted at all points just as we are. He feels our infirmities. By His stripes we are healed and by His stripes we are made whole. And Paul said, we know Him better through our suffering. He said, we know Him better through our tribulation and our trials. Because if all you do is live on top of the mountain with money in your bank and food in your pantry, clothes on your back with no situations ever happening in your life, how do you really know who Jesus is? You do not need a God at that point. If everything goes your way and you never experience the storm, how do you appreciate the sunshine? Because the days with sunshine mean more to me now than they did before I experienced something. And Jesus experienced and faced tight places. And here's the way it works. He gives us a promise. Promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you, but that I will always be with you until the end. If I go away, I go to prepare a place for you where you might be also, that if I go, I will come again and bring you unto me. Promises that say the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. Promises like His Word never fails that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Here's the way it works. Watch. He gives us a promise like He did Israel. He says, I'm, I'm going to deliver you into a land flowing with milk and honey, but you're going to go through problems before you get the provision. I'm going to give you a promise. You're going to have a problem, and then you're going to have provision. You may have a vision. You may have a prophecy. You may have the wisdom and knowledge of how it's all going to work out in the end, but the process is the problem that makes you ask whether or not you can make it. Let me just tell you what you have got to do in the process. You have got to clap your hands. You've got to keep raising your hands. You've got to keep giving to God. You've got to keep being faithful to church. That is what you do when you don't know what to do. You have been given a promise, but with every promise comes a process. Jeremiah said, arise. First, you have to get up from your dismay. And that would do a lot of us a lot of good to stop living in a woe is me culture. To stop living in a woe is me mindset. Like I'm Eeyore. Everything is against me. Nothing good is happening for me. They hate me. They don't like me here. I can't do this. I can't do that. We've got to get out of that mentality because God did not call you to live in that place. We have got to stop living in our past. Stop telling people what happened 10, 15, 30 years ago. 
Burn that little black book. Burn your past. That's why Paul said, forgetting the things which are behind and pressing forth to the things in front of me. We spend too much time in our past. And we wonder why no one wants to talk to us. It's because they don't want to hear it for the 133rd time. And you know people, I'm not saying names, there's certainly not anybody here, but you know people, you can think of them right now that you see them walking in that aisle and you walk out that aisle. And you know when you shake their hand, you don't, under any circumstance, ask how they're doing. Now there are people who got me with that the first 476 times, but I've wised up some since then. But let me tell somebody tonight, you cannot live in your past. You can't keep reliving what was in the past. Because if the blood of Jesus is strong enough to bury that, why are you digging in that blood? As we all stand and the music comes. We have got to get up. We have got to move on and learn a new language. We have got to learn new things to talk about. Outside of losing my father when I was 18 years old, many of you may not know this, um, my, my dad pastored a great church in Heath, Ohio. Um, we, it was a revival church. It was growing at the time. We were pushing 600 members. Things were happening. We were in revival. That, that past summer, I had graduated from high school. I was living the dream, driving from camp to camp in my 2012 Mustang, which I was so proud of. Man, that thing was sharp. Life was good plan. I was going to go to Indiana Bible College that fall because I knew she was going there. I had a plan that at 24 years of age, I would step into a full-time position under my father at home. And in between that time, I was just going to work and I was going to do the youth pastor thing and I was, I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And to that point, in, in my 18 years of life, God was good to me. I, I had never really dealt with mountains worth of stuff. I hadn't lived a life filled with pain and trials and hardship. God, God's been good to me. God gave me the dream of my life in Annabeth. When I was 17, I would, I would used to harass her and I would text her and DM her if I saw her at a camp meeting or a conference, I made it a point to go and, and find her out. And you think I joke when I say I finally wore her down to the point she just said yes, said yes. Yes, that's exactly what I did. And I finally got her and, and we got married. And we've had so much fun and it's been an adventure already, honey. And I think about when my parents got married, they didn't have anything. Um, they lived in this tiny little apartment they didn't have nice cars or lots of money. They didn't have this or that. They barely had enough money to, to buy pizza for dinner. They had, my mom tells the story, their, their dinner table was this little cheap, like glass top table from Walmart that one side of it wasn't quite level. And so you had to wait the other end of it so it wouldn't flop around. But it's what they had. They had a couch that was barely able to be sat on that was given to them. They had some furniture that was given to them by their parents. They didn't have a lot, but they had each other. And if they could stand here tonight, if my father could stand behind this pulpit 
He would tell you that serving God is not the fairy tale of waking up every day with your significant other and everything being easy. There is pain. There's financial trouble. There are children born. There are issues that you face. Yet through it all, God's grace never fails. It never forsakes. It never leaves. It never abandons. It never walks away. His goodness and His mercy really does follow all the days of our life. Jeremiah said in the potter's house, he will rot, W-R-O-U-G-H-T, a work on the wheels. Rot means to be fashioned. It means to be hammered into shape. It is a painful, arduous process where the clay is put on the potter's wheel, prepared to be molded and shaped into the potter's vision. It means that in the potter's house, you're placed on the wheel. And it's on the wheel that your life's turned upside down. It's on the potter's wheel in the potter's house that he is rotting and fashioning and shaping. It's the hardest part of the process. And many people will quit because they feel like the will is turning them every which way except loose. And they walk away because they did not realize that if they would have held on just a little bit longer, that God's grace would be sufficient. And I have come to tell you, sweet people of God tonight, it does not matter your unique circumstance if you will just wrap your arms and your legs around that wheel and make up in your mind, God, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how broken I feel, I'm not letting go. I'm not walking away. You have been good to me. You have been faithful to me. Mold me. Shape me. Break me. Do with me what you must, God, because I believe in you and that your grace is sufficient. Somebody tonight, you have come in with an impossible situation in your life. And I want you to know God's grace is sufficient for you wherever you are at. I'm quickly coming to a close. Everybody knows the greatest stories, whether it be Rocky, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, whatever. The best story is the one where the hero gets knocked down. And it looks like it's over. It looks like evil has won the day. It looks like the enemy has conquered the hero. But all of a sudden, the music starts playing. All of a sudden, you hear this rumbling in the background. And you see the hero start to stand up and step out of the ashes. Hell through a party. But on the third day, the hero got up. And I've come to tell somebody tonight, you do not have to give in. You do not have to give up because the hero has come to raise you. The hero has come to rescue.